0: The the understanding that there is a wrong is universal and it is inescapable. We might disagree on what right and wrong is, but we all agree that we can be wronged and it's wrong when we're wrong.
1: Morning, Rick. On this first day of spring, it's not feeling like spring in this room where we're recording. Where I think it is about forty-seven degrees, and I'm shivering uncontrollably. But uh, I've got some hot coffee, so hopefully it's not apparent from my voice. I out. saw a great
0: <laughs> meme. I saw a great meme this morning. It's uh, it's based on uh, Lord of the Rings, and it was uh, it, it was a it was a couple of hobbits, and they're like, "What about Second Winter?
1: Yeah, don't even <laughs> yeah, a joke play about on second it. breakfast. Yeah, yeah, don't joke. Yeah. It's gonna happen.
0: Yeah. So I don't know, man. It's it looks Looks like it's getting up in the 40s in, in the next for, for a run of a few days. That's
1: you, you are a true Minnesotan now, and you're getting giddy about 40 degrees. I guess so. I've changed,
0: <laughs> it has happened. It has happened. Yeah.
1: Well, we're glad it's happened, but uh, spring will come soon enough, it always does. Yeah. But uh, at least there is some hope knowing that it is meteorological spring.
0: Svea, did you enjoy seeing a picture of uh, my brother and me and his little boys? <laughs> in the sermon this week.
1: Little football kids. Yeah. You guys were adorable.
0: Oh my goodness. I he he and his wife watched the message and he was te- he was trash talking me through text. Oh, I wondered yesterday. about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I knew he was going to watch it. I texted him like, "Hey, I'm talking about you this weekend." Did
1: he wait until the end of the message or was he texting you while you were preaching?
0: I don't I no, he waited. He he watched it <laughs> he watched it after after afterwards so. No, but it was fun. That was great.
1: Yeah, That was great. That was a really sweet story you told about your dad and that, that idea of, of how he was saying that he he couldn't help me out with the the way that you said it. There's ugliness out there in the world that
0: I can't, I can't protect you from it when you're out there in it, but I don't have to let it in our home Mm, was the kind of, was the kind of idea. And I don't, I don't recall him doing it like angrily or anything, but it's just a, Hey, this is, here's reality. And, uh, and there, there are things that my dad did that for me uh, continue to resonate. For me, it was it was it was brilliant. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, he's a his his story is a, his story is an interesting story. He's sure. He's, he's, he's multiple men in one. Mm. Um, and but I'm grateful that uh, I'm grateful for, for some of the memories that I have and and some of the ongoing impact of his investment in me, especially. Uh, from those years.
1: Well, what he said to you and your brother in that context was a nice framework for approaching this chapter. It helped me
0: for sure. mm -hmm. Absolutely. For
1: recognizing that there is all kinds of stuff out there, Mm -hmm. you know, in the metaphorical out there that uh, that may represent a threat to us, but we can focus on being good to each other uh, within the family of Christ and to to adopt a healthy mindset Mm -hmm. in the way that we look out the window, so to speak.
0: For those who are... um... Who are doing a First Peter small group and their small group watches maybe a video that I'm that I make for small groups each week. I think one of the things that I mentioned is, you know, Rick Warren is famous for saying, uh, hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he's the first person to ever say it, but he's kind of the one who's certainly the one that I that I heard it from. And when we were experiencing hardship out in life, and I think I think part of what Peter's trying to communicate in chapter four is you're experiencing all kinds of pressure and hardship and maybe even abuse and serious mistreatment when you're together don't let that be a license for uh, perpetrating unkindness to each other be mm-hmm. be, be, be loving and, and careful and kind um, as you meet together I think it's probably the reason this is number one you got to think you got to be thinking clearly and you got to pray mm-hmm. um, maybe it starts starts with that and then and then we're going to love each other in a way that covers all kinds of All all kinds of sin, and we're going to be hospitable with each other. We're not going to complain about it, and we're going to serve each other. Um, So, yeah, I think it's I I, I think that I think Peter was incredibly insightful and hyper aware and very pastoral, Mm. and and how he was writing this letter and addressing people in their very real, uh, very real circumstances that were challenging.
1: Yeah. So I want to start with a question that came in that was a, a a good question about the text in this one, and I think you you do answer it in the message, but it might be just needing to take a little bit of a perspective shift. And that was a question right from verse one of chapter four, where verse one ends with the idea that the, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Yes. And this person said, "Boy, I don't feel done with sin." Yeah, <laughs>
0: and and I understand the way that it the 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 way that it, the sentence is structured, it looks as as though if we're suffering with Christ, then therefore we're not sinning anymore. There, that cannot be the case. And remember, um, we're, we can't just read a sentence in isolation. Let's read that verse in light of all the other verses mm-hmm. in First Peter. He's already told us uh, in a, or earlier that uh, we need to get rid of certain sins like malice and envy and deceit and gossip and and all of that. So Peter's not writing to them with the understanding that they don't sin anymore or, the under, or that they should no longer be sinning anymore. It's really, Peter said, if you have turned your back on your old way of life, mm-hmm. and you are... If you've said, I'm done with that, it's so I'm following Christ then it's going to put you on a path where it's very likely that you will receive suffering that is the result of people mistreating you. Mm-hmm. I believe that's what Peter's trying to communicate. In yeah, that that's verse. a helpful nuance, yeah. that it's, yeah. not,
1: it's not trying to imply that we never sin anymore. But yet that we're we're turning our back on listen I've suffered and
0: I'm not done with sin I really want to (laughs) be like it's still there it happens yeah Um, but it's kind of saying like if you it's like I'm done with that I'm I'm not doing that anymore obviously we're not perfectly living that out but it's a decision point Mm -hmm. no I'm following Christ I don't live for that anymore so you've made that decision that's why you're suffering that's what Peter is bringing it into context mm-hmm. for his original readers.
1: And isn't it fascinating that that when you do make a life change, um, I'm trying to think of a, a, a somewhat less charged example, but let's say that uh, you've hung out with a lot of people where your habit is to, uh, to go out, Eating and drinking most nights. Yeah, let's, and... the,
0: let's use what let's use the example that that Peter used. He said, "Listen, you used to be involved in in uh, debauchery and orgies, and lust and drunkenness, and all kinds of reckless and wild living, which you used to do, mm-hmm. right? And um, but you don't, and they don't understand why you don't participate with them anymore, mm-hmm. and so they heap abuse on you. That's a." That's really kind of an explanation or an illustration of what he had just said in, or, or written for us in, in verse one. You said, I'm done with that, and now people are heaping abuse on you for that. It's mm-hmm. so... but And, and we've... I, I don't know. To the I extent mean, we that, don't
1: have many people who probably have the experience with with having a lifestyle of orgies and have now <laughs> walked
0: away. I don't from know. That. I don't <laughs> know. I don't know about some of you guys out there. <laughs> but, all right, here we but go. But it is Settle true down. That Settle when down. You... So, but listen. There, there's all kinds of things, right? There, there's all kinds of things um, in our present and in our past, and we all have chapters and in, 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 in the book of ourselves that we would we'd love to rewrite if we could, um, and. It, Peter's saying, listen, that doesn't define you. Mm -hmm. You are now defined by Jesus, who you are in Jesus, and live from that. And who of us haven't experienced? When we make a decision, we realize, you know what? Here's something I've been doing, and I've been... It's been something that I've done in my social circle, and mm-hmm. I realize I, I, can't, I can't follow Christ and do that anymore, so I'm going to stop doing that. And people don't like feeling judged. When you say, right. I'm not doing that anymore, people don't like feeling judged.
1: Right. Well, it's kind of two-part. They're, they can be upset that you've left them, that you've abandoned them, that you're no longer That's in right. fellowship with them in that, but then they're also upset because of that implication of, That's right. of there must be something that you think now is wrong in what we're doing. So don't
0: be afraid of that. So let's let's say you're in let's say you're in a you're you're in a I mean just use a kind of a classic old school kind of churchy example. Let's say you're in a prayer group and you're realizing our prayer group loves to gossip. Mm. We're doing a whole lot of gossip, and you just say, "Listen, guys, um, I I've just I've just been feeling convicted about this, and and I realize I have been gossiping, and I want to apologize to you that I have been gossiping, and I want you to know that I don't I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore." Well, you haven't made it about them. You you just own it, and you made that about about you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But if they're, they realize that they do it too, and if they throw some shade at you or they throw heat back at you because they don't like being exposed for their sin, that's not your fault. You haven't done anything wrong. Don't be don't be afraid of that. You just might have to navigate that and navigate it in the same way that Jesus would, mm-hmm. with gentleness and. Gentleness and humility. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, everybody's going to have to face those kinds of things.
1: So, verse four said that they're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuse on you. Yeah. Just kind of acknowledging this is the reality of, of what happens when you do turn away from mm-hmm. other people to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved the, the phrase that you had about salvation is free, but it may cost you.
0: Absolutely. And this yeah. is one
1: of those costs. It of is a following cost. Christ. It might
0: cost friendships. And not because not because we say we're done with you as a person, but they're responding hostily to the to the path that we're trying to walk. And we can't follow Jesus and also join them in what they're doing. And so there has to be basically a necessary ending to that relationship. Mm-hmm. That is one of that's one of the costs.
1: A point that you brought out around this time in the message was that we have to respond to abuse. We don't have to return it. Absolutely. And something that that I had to process a little bit through the rest of Sunday afternoon was, what does that response to abuse look like? Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I'm sure there's not a one size fits all kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking, I I like first of all that you started from that place that we do have to respond. Absolutely. We don't have to just ignore mistreatment and pretend like it's not happening. And mm-hmm. and as I was wrestling through that in my brain, I thought, mm-hmm. well, what about like Jesus turning the other cheek? Mm-hmm. But then thinking about that more and more, realizing turning the other cheek is not ignoring something; mm-hmm. it's actually an incredibly powerful response. It
0: is, yeah.
1: It, it's it's a strong response. It's a controlled response.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's it's not some it's not an expression of just ignoring it that any kind of mistreatment happened.
0: Absolutely, yeah. There's depending on the situation, depending on what's going on, depending on what kind of the relationship is. There's how you there's what's going on in the circumstances in the situation are going to inform how you use wisdom to apply the truth to that situation. So I appreciate you saying there's not a one size fits all. There are going to be times, there are going to be times that um, that you actually just do accept the abuse. And then there are going to be other times that you respond to it without returning to it by saying, I just, listen, that's not okay. You're going to draw a boundary. You're not going to fight the other person back. You're not going to. You're not going to try to harm them or try to wound mm-hmm. them. You're not going to go for revenge, but you're going to. You're going to draw a boundary, and maybe you're going to remove them from your life or you're going to distance yourself from them. There are all kinds of ways that that could be expressed, but there are many different ways to respond and respond well mm-hmm. um, without returning it.
1: Yeah, we're not going to repay evil from evil from the last chapter.
0: Absolutely no, mm-hmm. we're not gonna we're not gonna do that.
1: And Paul says something similar in Romans 12 about not repaying evil for evil, but leaving it to the wrath of God. That's you right. Know, allow God to be the one to deal with that, but mm-hmm. our response can can be within that vein of being an ambassador for if, Jesus.
0: Paul provides us so many examples of <clears throat> how how to how to respond without without returning. We think about the time that he was being uh, beaten, and he made sure that those who were beating him knew that he was a Roman citizen and so that they would stop, mm-hmm. um, because they were violating the law, and he used that to his advantage, but certainly um, maintained likeness in that scenario. There was a time that uh, Agabus came to him and said, listen, God has told me if you go back, they are going to... He took off his belt and he wrapped it around Paul's hands, they're gonna bind you, they're gonna beat you, it's gonna be horrible for you. And Paul said, yeah, you're right, that is gonna happen, but I'm still gonna go. Right, I'm, I know that I know this is going to put me in a hard spot. I know this is going to result in something very, uh, perhaps tragic for me. But I'm still going to do it anyway because I want to represent Christ uh, to to my fellow Jews. Uh, when when Paul uh, was before uh, was before Felix and, and and Agrippa, he could have gotten out. He could have gotten out of prison, but he continued to work the judicial system purposefully and strategically to maintain his incarceration, knowing that he would get him kicked up to a higher court, knowing that it would take him to Rome, continuing to put himself in a harder situation so that he could represent Christ uh, to, to others. And so there are times that you're going to respond to abuse in a way that ends it, there's a time that you're going to respond to abuse that doesn't end it, and you're going to leverage wisdom in that moment mm-hmm. to know what to do. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if I went a little bit uh, down a rabbit trail there, so help, help bring me back on on topic,
1: well, the where I was going to go next though was mm-hmm. in this idea of other ways that that our faith in Jesus can cost us, and, and yeah. you piqued my interest when someone is maybe seeking to be baptized and their family is not on board with that either. Yeah, for absolutely. They're maybe maybe it was the case of someone whose parents baptized them as an infant, and yeah. now they feel like if they're getting baptized as an adult, that that's disrespectful to their family. Um, that's just one. Yeah. one and illustration. It, our churches
0: our church is full of people who have stories about relational rifts over getting baptized as an adult mm-hmm. because they were baptized as an infant
1: yeah I know it's a little bit of a rabbit trail itself, mm-hmm. but can you just say something to someone who's maybe considering being baptized and this is a fear that they have that yeah. you know how is this going to be received by my family?
0: Number one, I, I this what you're talking about is real. what, what you're feeling is real and it's understandable. Um, and if you were if you were baptized as an infant, and you have since come to faith in Christ on your own, and you want to publicly um, celebrate that and represent that and obey Jesus, and, and getting baptized as a believer. I would encourage you that number one, your disposition to you to your mom and to your dad who had you baptized is just to say thank you. It's just to let them know how much you appreciate that they uh, they wanted to start you out in faith, uh, that they wanted to express their appreciation to God for you, that they that they wanted you to grow up in a way. Uh, that you would follow Jesus as well. And so I would encourage you to, to start with a disposition of gratitude and humility towards your mom and dad for that, and then to assure them, everything that you hope for me has been realized. Mm. I am choosing to follow Jesus for myself, and I want you to know that by me getting baptized is not a repudiation of what you did, it is the culmination of what started on that day. Mm. And so that does not mean, even if you're able to articulate it in that way, which I believe is true, if you're able to articulate it in that way uh, that's 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 clear and understandable, it does not guarantee that the loved one that you have in mind, that they're going to respond the way that you want them to respond. They still may respond uh, in a way that's painful for you. How we engage others is not a guarantee of how they're going to re- respond to us. You just love them, and you be honest, and you be gracious, uh, you be all of those things. Never let someone else be a reason for you not following Jesus.
1: Mm. Well, thank you for going down that that particular rabbit trail a little bit, because I think from the principle that you pulled out of this text that our allegiance to Jesus may cost us. Absolutely. Well, I shouldn't say may cost us, it I, will cost Jesus us.
0: Jesus used strong language, didn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, um and, and I think it's one thing to be prepared to feel mistreated or feel abuse from the secular world or mm-hmm. for people who reject Jesus. I think it can be that much more painful when we feel it from people who are close to us who are also followers of Jesus. We, we often don't have our guard up or we're, we're not ready for those kinds of attacks. And and so this kind of a scenario of someone who wants to follow Jesus through baptism but uh, maybe feeling hurt from their family is a deep pain.
0: It's a deep pain and it gets messy and a hurt. When we're talking about people in our family and people in our homes,
1: mm. yeah. Well, speaking of messy, okay. <laughs> this is the church's messy podcast, That's right? right? So That's we who can we are. talk about some messy topics. Uh, you got uh, right on the edge of being a little messy with some Greco-Roman culture in this. Oh sermon. yeah, I
0: battled. There's some. A, there's a, there's a quote from Demosthenes that I can't say his name right without fumbling Demosthenes <laughs> and uh, and Horace that I wanted to share. And uh, the Horace one I was even gonna put up redacted, but at the end of the day, I was just <laughs> too I was too embarrassed. And let me just say this uh, it was it was a grotesque way of life mm. for a lot of people. Mm. And it was abusive. Mm. This abusive and, and listen, I wasn't being creative, I'm telling you, it was objectification and entitlement to other people's bodies. Mm. Could you imagine could you imagine living in a society where other people felt entitled to your body? No. that was absolutely abhorrent that was the greco-roman world
1: it was just all about power wasn't it oh yeah the person in power had rights over anyone else underneath them
0: power is at the core and you know right now um sexual abuse scandals are uh they continue to be in the news i don't know if anybody has seen the movie she said and it chronicles the harvey weinstein Mm -hmm. case there are uh, uh, um I think you've seen the movie women talking I haven't yet mm-hmm. seen that I haven't geared myself up emotionally yeah uh, to <laughs> I' I watched she said but I haven't geared myself up emotionally yet to watch uh women talking. Yeah, it's a powerful movie. there are there are uh, stories tragically inside the church world of, of of sexual abuse and scandal and it's almost always tied to positions of power mm. and there is you know God intended God intended for power, and authority to be deployed as a blessing for people. Uh, God intended for folks to have power and authority and to use it to bless others. And I think it was G.K. Chesterton. I could be wrong in this, but I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said that basically original sin is the—it's <laughs> the one thing in the Bible that we can prove hands down to everyone. Mm. And just look at how power and authority is so often abused. Mm-hmm. And it's there are examples of it being used well, but there are too many examples of it being used um, for self-indulgence and the exploitation of others. And I think I think it's just one of the many proofs that we are in need of a Savior, that we cannot climb out of the pit that we have put ourselves in.
1: Well, give me a little bit of clarification, because you made an outstanding point by by drawing us all in with the recognition that we universally accept that things like sexual abuse, like rape are wrong. Uh, It's not that it doesn't happen, but that that everyone, whether you're a person of faith or whether you're a complete atheist, we we have a a moral objective standard that that is wrong behavior and that that is pointing to the existence of a greater moral
0: authority. We tend to have that viewpoint in modern Western culture, and we tend to have that viewpoint in um, countries that at one time had a very, very strong... Judeo-Christian um, influence.
1: Well, okay, thank you for saying that because that actually drives exactly to the where I would like a little bit more clarification because mm-hmm. by pointing that out that it it tends to be in cultures yeah. that, that are coming are, from that place... There are
0: cultures that celebrate abuse mm. and rape.
1: Well, and even the Greco-Roman culture, as you were pointing out, Absolutely. this was just an, a part of the fabric of the way that they viewed sexuality. Absolutely. And so... Does that change the the strength of that argument if if the way that we approach uh, any kind of sexual abuse issues is actually cultural rather than moral?
0: So yeah, nothing ever changes the strength of any of my arguments. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> Forgive me, we'll move on. So, no, no, that's a,
0: re- that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good question. Let me, we, we can slice this pie up in a couple of different pieces. Let's start with this. This is one of the reasons why Christianity was so appealing, especially to women and especially to the poor and to the slaves, the people who did not have power. And the power was concentrated in a few and, per, and, and wielded on the many. And Christianity was monumentally uh, attractive and appealing uh, to to folks. But you know what? It was also we. Do you know one of the reasons that that we find like in like in Peter the um, saying things like you know you don't wear these like elaborate hairstyles with like jewelry and stuff you know woven in it's because there were wealthy, powerful people in the church too, because they recognized oh my goodness, the way of life of the gospel is superior to what mm. to what we have. And so while it might have been just kind of ubiquitous, it might have been kind of u- just saturated every aspect of Greco-Roman culture, um, it wasn't necessarily that everyone said, this is great, because when they saw it contrasted with the gospel, people wanted the gospel, they wanted what Jesus gave,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: And so we can look at it from that perspective. But also... Let's just imagine that we live in a culture this we live in a culture right now where people celebrate assault and, and abuse. But well, there's kind of a more more fundamental ontological way of, of talking about this. Either either it's right or it is wrong. And if it's wrong, right, we have to have an explanation for it. What is it that makes it wrong? It's not it can't be wrong based on societies. It can't be wrong based on individuals because individuals disagree, because societies disagree. It can't be wrong based on nature because what we see is I I love... I love how nature was once described as red and tooth and claw. We see mm-hmm. the powerful dominating the weak all the time, and only and only the strong are able to uh, survive. If it is wrong to abuse power, if it's wrong to take whatever advantages or resources or power you have and to use that against someone else, that has to come from something that makes sense of that. It comes has to come from some sort of transcendent transcendent moral authority, and if that exists. We're all accountable. Yeah. Very few people in my life, I've met a few and I've talked to a few, very few people have said there absolutely is no right and wrong. It's all an illusion. And to which I said, all right, listen, basically what you're telling me right now, if right and wrong, if good and evil, if it's all an illusion, you're saying there is no real difference in putting uh, dinner in the oven for the kids versus putting the kids in the oven for dinner. <laughs> right? Oh. And I mean, and people, people say that, some people t- sometimes people give a nod to that. No one lives that way. Mm-hmm. No one lives that way because everyone objects when they feel wronged. The, the understanding that there is a wrong is universal and it is inescapable. We might disagree on what right and wrong is, but we all agree that we can be wronged and it's wrong when we're wrong. Well, where does that come from? How do you explain that? That is only real, and it's only true if there is a transcendent moral law giver. And if there isn't, we're all massively deceived, and we've never been wronged, and it's impossible for us to be wronged. Mm-hmm. And so I know we've kind of we've gone into a little apologetics, a little a little philosophy here. Unless you're willing to say that someone who comes up to you and punches you in the face and takes your money and leaves you and nothing ever and just kind of leaves you behind and nothing ever, there's no justice, nothing ever happens to them, you have to say that that's okay, that that's not wrong. It's just something you don't prefer, Mm -hmm. but it's not wrong. No one can live that way. And imagine a world in which we did live that way. Imagine what a hellscape it would be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No one wants that. Yeah. And so when we recognize, no, I have been wronged, and it's wrong when I'm wrong, that only makes sense if there is a transcendent moral law and a transcendent moral lawgiver, and we are accountable to him if that is the case. And there is one, and his name is Jesus. Mm-hmm. But he loved us so much that he said, I'm going to take on what it means to be you. I'm gonna fulfill the law perfectly through my own life. So we fulfilled it once through the way that he lived. We're not just, and listen, I don't know that uh, that I've done a good job of communicating this, we are not just saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are saved by his life as well, by his obedience and by his faithfulness. And then he paid the price as though he had broken it. And then he um, rose from the dead, showing that he has the power to keep the promise that if we trust in him, that his righteousness is applied to us. And so that's why I say, listen, I'm with him. I am I'm with I would way rather be judged based on what Jesus did yeah. than what I do.
1: That's the beautiful living hope that we have yeah. coming back from chapter one. So the middle section of this passage, verse seven and eight. And, and 9 also give us some really nice practical steps to take in the way that we engage the community around us. Uh, from verse 7, about halfway through, Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Mm-hmm. Above all, love one another deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's right. <laughs> love that he had to add, the, yeah. <laughs> without grumbling. Clearly some farther. people...
0: <laughs> Clearly, some people were grumbling. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, they had a high standard of hospitality in their culture too. It wasn't even just inviting people over for a party, but mm. uh, but the expectation that you would house and feed
0: people uh, yeah. if they came to. If you have ever been invited into the home of someone um, in uh, man in, in from an African country or from a Middle Eastern country, mm. or if um, either you're over you're overseas and you're there, or if you are Invited into the home of someone who comes from that culture, be prepared to enjoy yourself. Mm. It is fantastic. They do hospitality well, way better than I do. Yeah. Way better than way better than our culture. Like I'm from the South, and we talk about Southern hospitality, and it's great. But it doesn't. It doesn't. One of the greatest experiences that I've ever had was being invited into the home of a Muslim family from Afghanistan. It was. Awesome! Mm. It was awesome, mm-hmm. and I just thought, "Oh my goodness, do I have something to learn from you?" And it helped. It really helped for me the New Testament to come alive, to really see um, what's being talked about in yeah. hospitality.
1: Lovely. Yeah. I've had similar experiences in Africa. It's it's humbling. Isn't how, it how how they can extend such incredible generosity and hospitality? Yeah, yeah. Um, but from verse eight, there's one of these. Famous verses that a lot of people know, even people who don't know a lot of scripture, have maybe heard this idea of love covering over a multitude of sins. Yeah. Could you maybe just explain that a little bit more? Because I think it's a verse that's often misapplied.
0: Yeah, I might do an inadequate job on on that, but let me let me give you um, let me give you the best that this is what this is what atoning is. It's covering over, and this is what Jesus has done for us. His blood covers over our sin. And the consequences and the death uh, that comes with it. And it's really driven by, it's really driven by love. And so when we love someone and we forgive them, we're gonna say, I choose not to look on that. I I'm 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 covering, I'm covering over that. I'm choosing to overlook that. And and sometimes the way that plays out practically in relationship is maybe you're doing something that's annoying me. I'm just not even gonna I'm not even gonna acknowledge it because it's a big deal. Or maybe, maybe you maybe you you're doing something that Else, that's maybe more intense than than annoying. But but I love you, and I know the things that you're carrying, and and I don't have to speak to every little thing. I just choose to overlook it because because I love you, and and you overlook things about me because because you love me. That's a, that's a beautiful thing, and I hope everybody gets to experience those kinds of friendships, those kinds of relationships. Mm. But it's but it's also saying when I've covered over it, it's done. Mm. It is settled. And one of the reasons that gossip is so nasty is because gossip keeps uncovering it. Mm. It keeps pulling the covers back and say, let's talk about that. Let's bring that up again. And that's just not what love does. Love covers over it and it keeps it covered permanently. We don't have to look on that anymore.
1: Once it's dealt with, it's done.
0: That's right. Mm. I remember. I've. I, I don't know if I've told this story. I think I've told this story before. But uh, I once set my father-in-law's house on fire. Not oh, my. What? Not my greatest moment. <laughs>
1: what happened?
0: <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Let's keep that covered. But uh, oh. in the aftermath, I was sitting on the couch, and have you ever just wanted to be invisible? <laughs> yes. I'm just. I'm just like feeling like like the king of morons and, and you know, everything for insurance, everything's fine, but it's just not my great, not my greatest moment. And, um, and I'm sitting on the couch and I just, I'm trying not to bring any attention to myself. I just want to be invisible. I'm not talking. And my father-in-law sat down he's like, Hey, listen, I don't want you to hang your head. I kind of wish the whole house had burned down. I would enjoy building a new one. It is no big deal. We're never going to talk about it again. Wow. Do you know the only person who ever talks about it? You? Is me. Yeah. (laughs) No one else brings it up. Wow. No one does.
1: What a gracious response. Yeah. Well, as we finish up this episode, I'd like to give you one more chance just to flesh out the concept of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Mm. Because we've talked about activity and identity and authority before, Mm -hmm. uh, but you've Connected some phrases about the way that we relate to Jesus. In that, uh, do you want to just walk through that one more yeah, time? Yeah.
0: So we, I, I introduced this, this, the trajectory of a full devotion, and really, what we're doing, we're always talking about the same thing over and over again, but just from different, different angles. Like we talk about let, let your identity drive your activity, and then we say, you know, uh, uh, Jesus is the lens through which we see ourselves, and and we're the lens through which others see Jesus. It's all the same thing, mm-hmm. but it's just looking at it from from different angles and unpacking. The implications of it. So, we're talking about the trajectory of full devotion. Number one, we're going to look to Jesus. He is our authority. And, you know, I heard a pastor say one time this is what that means. Hey Jesus, what do you think about this? Okay, that's what I want to think about that. Mm. Jesus, what 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 do you think we ought to do with money? Okay, that's what I'm going to do with my money. Mm. Jesus, what do you say about forgiveness? Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, that's how I'm going to be forgiven. Jesus, what do you have to say about sex? Okay, that's going to be my approach to sex. Jesus, what what do you think about friendships? Okay, that's going to be my approach. I, hey, whatever you what you say, that's that's what I do. Yeah, I love the it. way that you think, that's how I want to think. I want to be in tune with you. You are my authority, and really the discipleship question is. Who's in charge? Who's the boss? And for those of us who follow Jesus, He's the boss. He's in charge. We follow Him. He's our authority. We are, we are looking to Him, and we are following Him. Mm-hmm. He sets the direction. He sets the pace. And number two, um, what we uh, what we want to do after after we look to Jesus, we want to really see ourselves through Jesus, right? We want to, and He is the source of our identity, and He shows us. Uh, He shows us the the way of life and who we are and what it means uh, to be chosen, to be a royal priest, to be members of a holy nation, to be God's special possession, that we understand who we are in Him. So what's the story we're telling ourselves about ourselves? That comes from from Him. And then what are we going to do with our lives? What is that? Okay, therefore what? So what now? What do we do? What's the activity of our lives? Um, Well, we want people to see Jesus in us. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, the activity of our lifestyle is really driven by this question, what does love require of me? And so the, in, success, in successive order, our questions are, who's in charge? What's the story I'm telling myself about myself? And what does love require of me? And we ask, well, why is it the question, what does love require of me for activity? It's because Jesus said, everything everything comes down to this. Everything is just an expression of this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Everything comes down to that. Mm-hmm. Who's in charge? What's the story I'm telling myself about myself? And what does love require of me? Authority, identity, activity. And as we grow in that, and as we're taking our next steps in all of that, we are on a trajectory of being fully devoted followers of Jesus. Hmm. And that's what we're about. May
1: that be true of all of us. All right. Yeah. Well, when we were talking in the lobby yesterday morning, there was a delightful couple that came up to us with a, a really fun comment that mm-hmm. uh, at the outset of this series, they were a little bit surprised that we were going to take eight weeks to walk through the whole book of 1 Peter, yeah. thinking, you know, there's only five chapters. Why yeah. are we going to spend eight weeks on this? <laughs> what all can you
0: say about this? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and yet next week is week eight, and, and I'm grieving that it's already over, and it seems like we could have taken twice as much time to go through this book. There's been so many wonderful things in this letter of Peter's.
0: For me, this has been a blast. Mm-hmm. It has been an absolute bless. It's been a challenge. Uh, there are things about uh, about Peter that uh, that are very challenging to be able to preach but uh, but I've enjoyed it but I'm you know what comes next what comes next is is Holy Week. Uh, Otis is preaching Palm Sunday and he's been working hard on that and I, I can't mm-hmm. wait to hear from him and then mm-hmm. we've got uh, Good Friday services and then we've got Easter and I'm I'm very excited to to celebrate. Um, good things the...
1: are ahead, but let's not jump yeah. ahead of, okay. of the but next week. but I just week. want to say there's nothing to be
0: sad about. We got we got good stuff. We got good stuff True. coming. Yeah.
1: Good reminder. Good yeah. reminder. Well, I look forward to this coming week and finishing out this letter with chapter five, and look forward to talking about the message with you next week.
0: All right. See you next week, everybody.